ora koutou, I'm Teresa Cowie and welcome to this week's Insight. New Zealand charities say there's an urgent need to help older people cope with loneliness and social isolation. They say it's a pressing issue as the population ages, society changes and people are expected to live longer in their own homes. They point to limited housing options, towns and cities built for fit young males and ever-changing technology which can deprive many of companionship, good health and well-being. The UK has established a Minister for Loneliness and a campaign to end loneliness is also underway. Sally Round takes a look at what's being done in New Zealand to address the problem, which will likely balloon as the population ages. And just a note, some people's names have been changed to protect their identity. It's smoko time at the Waimea Men's Shed on a chilly Nelson morning, and the men have downed tools. John's going to make a speech. The men's shed is part of a network of volunteer-run workshops around the country which offer men companionship, skill-sharing and just a place to hang out while giving back to the community. It's a little bit like a, a monastery in a way because we sit at these long tables <laughs> and uh, we, we communicate with each other. It's, it's quite delightful really. James lives in a caravan. He's moved to the area recently in search of sun and convenient living. The first time I came here, I happened to come at smoko time. All the guys were sitting around these tables. And they said, oh, come on in, sit down, join us, have a cup of tea. Where are you from? And, and so on. And I was, I was pulled into the uh, community straight away. With no family or close relationships, James is quite frank about his feelings of loneliness. Definitely there's, there's a problem of, of loneliness because I live alone and uh, I sometimes do feel lonely when I'm just on my own in the caravan. <laughs> um, even though the people around me are very friendly people, it's not so easy to make contact. Some of the people on the caravan site have a habit of uh, at a certain time in the afternoon, they will walk all the way around the site to talk to anyone who happens to be out. But my habit is to come here, to the men's shed. James says his situation is not unusual among men. I've met quite a lot of lonely men, different organisations that I've joined. They all have the same problem, not knowing quite how to reach out to other people. We get conditioned into our roles... And with men, it's very much, particularly European culture, it's, it's hold back, uh, act as if you're strong, as if you don't need help, that you can look after yourself so you don't, you don't need to ask anyone else for anything. Sunday afternoon, I start to get the terrors and the panic attacks because he's going back to work the next day and I'll be here by myself. Across the Cook Strait and the Wellington Hills, Barbara is housebound because of Parkinson's disease. She says the nervous system disorder makes just walking up her driveway feel like climbing the Eiger. That long day ahead of me, um, it's like a great big empty void that I could fall into head first. I went through very, very bad depression with it. So bad they called the psychiatrist in from Hutt Hospital to come up and see me. And they put me on medication, which seemed to... It didn't doesn't take it all away, but it helps me get through the day. Um, and as you can see, I 
knit and do all sorts of handcrafts. <laughs> um, that fills in the time, but there are sometimes you just sort of go screaming nuts for some a real person to talk to. For Barbara, the long, empty days on her own are tempered by outings with her family, her husband's sympathetic work situation and visits from Wellington City Mission carers. All the people around here work, so there, there are no people. I've got to the, in a habit of locking myself into the house. I don't know why. I've got this fear of maybe someone would attack me. But also, uh, I can't get outside anymore and do the things. We once had beautiful gardens here. They were lovely. I can't do that anymore. So much of it's been taken away from me. Um, whereas once upon a time, I'd go out, get the lawn, mow, mow the lawns. Not a problem. <laughs> Not anymore. There's a huge emptiness. And you want to fill it up with something, but you... You can't drag strange people off the street and say, come and sit and talk to me, you know, I'm lonely. The experts say loneliness is a complex issue, as much about perception as reality. Research shows 15 to 24-year-olds have the highest rates of loneliness of all age groups, and it rises again in the over-80s, as people get frailer and partners and friends die. Many people happily live alone without feeling lonely, and others share homes, but can still feel utterly lonely and isolated. We're now living in a very rapidly changing society where, for the first time in human history, large, large numbers of us live alone. And so this is something that we are still working out. Uh, we're in a big social experiment. Louise Rees is Age Concerns expert on loneliness and manages its national visiting service, linking volunteers with older people needing company. She says there's profound loneliness out there, especially with the increasing number of older people living alone. Living alone doesn't necessarily equate to loneliness, but what research has shown is that living alone, isolation and loneliness are all independently factors uh, which put people at risk of early mortality. So all of those three things are actually bad for our health. Loneliness is a phenomenon across different ethnicities in New Zealand, although studies show the lowest rates of older age loneliness among Pacific people. Don't feel lonely. Family, got good company. Yeah, I've got a few friends, but I don't go to oh. them. Yeah. Malia is in her 70s. She grew up in Samoa and lives with her daughter and son-in-law, grandchildren and a great-grandchild in a suburb north of Wellington. I usually get dropped off to my brothers, my other family, and stay there for, for a while. Oh, so you're always and, with family. Yeah, and they come and pick me up afterwards. Malia's daughter, Sala, says extended family living is keeping the whole family connected with their Samoan and Tokelauan culture and traditions. I feel that it's a connection for my generation and my children to the um, extended family as well and to the community, not just cultural community, but also church community, which is very important to us. It helps us feel the belonging, you know. I think if um, she wasn't here, we wouldn't be going to a lot of community stuff. So it actually keeps you connected, connected as well? Connected, definitely. 
So with myself going, and then I'm encouraging my children to come, yeah, and they're getting to learn about the different, yeah, the identity. Research is underway to see if things are changing for Pacific people too. Age Concerns Louise Rees says they've beefed up services for older Chinese people in Auckland. Although in Chinese and Korean society there is this idea of filial piety of the younger generation uh, looking after and respecting elders, what we're seeing, and this is coming through in research as well, is that those traditional support systems are being stretched basically by modern living. We have families who are not necessarily now living as closely together in a geographic sense as they did. Women uh, are increasingly in the workforce. Um, Younger people are working long hours. So even where there may be goodwill to um, support older members, and even, in fact, if older members are living with family, they're often still spending long hours alone. Loneliness was a recurring theme for callers to the Silverline helpline, which was trialled over two months last year. The chair of the Silverline Trust, John Lepper, says the helpline for older people will be trialled nationwide 24-7 soon. He says 100 people called multiple times to chat during the first trial in Auckland. Half the calls, let's say, were mentioning loneliness as the reason for calling. Quite a lot of them came from rest homes because they said they came from rest homes and they were lonely. But the surprising thing was that a, a quarter between a quarter and a third, uh, were to do with mental health issues, anxiety, uh, depression, and so forth. But as people got to trust the system, they talked more and more openly about it. But we were able to act as an intermediary to get a proper intervention done on someone who was about to kill themselves. And thankfully, we were successful with that. Was there any idea, sort of sense, that it might be caused by social isolation? It's a pretty fair guess that it was, because that's the thing that people talk about. We've known this in social science for 20 or 30 years, that the effect of loneliness on health has been equated to the risk of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Social scientist Dr Sally Keeling was involved in a recent University of Otago study of 100,000 over 80-year-olds who were seeking care. About 20% of the population in our study do record that they feel lonely. That seems to be a high figure, but there are other age groups who also report those levels of perceived loneliness. The thing about older people is that they often don't have the time or resource available to make their own compensations for something which is recorded as a a lack or something that they would like to be otherwise. Dr Keeling says they hope to tease out further information on how loneliness affects people's health. Some people live alone for 30 or 40 years and others may be only recently in that situation and so whether they've had time to adjust or to 
compensate for some of those limitations. That's the kind of thing that in real life we need to think about. We cannot put people in boxes and say all people who live alone feel lonely because they don't, but there are some risk factors that tend to hang around with each other. I'm Sally Round, and you're listening to an RNZ Inside programme exploring loneliness. Back in Nelson, in a quiet cul-de-sac of homes and gardens in Tahunanui, it's lunchtime for the Abbeyfield household. It's a bit like flatting for seniors, each person paying affordable rent for a comfortable warm room and meals, but with extra shared living space and a housekeeper to cook and keep order. The worry of bills and other household admin is taken care of by volunteers in the community. Health-wise, you pick up. You can see it as each person comes in. 85-year-old Barbara has lived at Abbeyfield for seven years, after a full life of solo living and plenty of travel. But she says it's now a relief not to worry and ponder on your own about things. You've got people around you who are ageing and you realise that it's normal. What's happening to you is happening to others and it's no big deal. I think that's one of the key things here is that you realise that you're perfectly normal. The Abbeyfield charity has several homes around New Zealand but it wants to establish more. The over-65s will make up a quarter of the population in 20 years' time, and Abbeyfield's chief executive, Susan Jenkins, says it's important they have accommodation choice, including the option of support and companionship. We need to acknowledge that older people are part of this huge change in tenure that's occurring right across New Zealand. So many older people are coming into retirement as renters without any home equity, and what that means is it limits their choices. Uh, they can't buy a place in a retirement village, for instance. There simply aren't enough social housing or community rentals, and many older people are reliant, solely reliant, on national super for their income. Abbeyfield has been trying to get state cornerstone funding for more homes to cater for the huge need. Susan Jenkins says over the past year, three single older people turned up living in their cars looking for a home. In the next few decades, we're going to see much more of this. It, it's currently actually quite a hidden problem. The fact that older people have real housing needs, quite particular housing needs, that they can't afford a private rental, even if they could find one. Shifting north again to a Wairarapa retirement village where 90-year-old Elizabeth is sitting chatting to her friend, a regular visitor arranged by the charity Age Concern. Elizabeth's husband has died, she has no children, and apart from her sister-in-law, no other family in New Zealand. I've lost so many friends. It was 14 in one year. That's the danger when you get in your 90s, that the people younger than you are dying before you. How do you have to adjust your thinking around that? I try to be positive. <laughs> That's why I got another animal, a pet. That helps. You've got to look after your furry friend, and they're demanding. 
for an example this morning. I lay in a little bit longer than Madam thought was necessary, so I'd get a with a paw and a yow. Where's my breakfast? <laughs> Elizabeth says because she was an only child, she doesn't feel lonely. In fact, she says she's had a charmed life, with group activities on the doorstep if she wants them, and she's still able to get out and about. Living in a small town is an advantage. Everybody out there is so friendly. Um, if they see you with a walker, they'll ease back for you, the traffic stops for you, and even the truck drivers, they see if you're aiming towards a level crossing and you can hear them change gear. You never come back without having spoken to someone. And people smile, they don't know you, but they smile if you're using a walker. Well, this is a good example of um, not terribly a <laughs> friendly pavement area. No, it's got yeah. a bit of a dip, hasn't it? Yeah. And an uneven surface. Uneven surface, yeah, bro- broken edges. Um, and yes, it's just for uh, people either um, with any kind of impairment, it, it'd be, it could be a potential barrier. Peter Matcham of Grey Power says more communities should be aimed not just at fit young males, but for all ages, so older people feel they can get about easily if they want to. So that's one of the, the, our major concerns, is the um, degree to which fear of an accident increases people's social isolation. Um, just looking at, at the research data, the number of, uh, of actual incidents is, is relatively small, um, but we do know that the, um, the fear of an accident is, is quite high. And this is um, why we're, we're really keen to uh, get bring this to the attention of local authorities. Okay. What, what would you note here as something that might be putting off uh, older people coming out okay. and socialising more? Uh, well, one, one of the, start off with, with the, um, the good things. The street names are clearly uh, visible to people who are walking around, um, which is unfortunately not the case everywhere, but um, full marks for, for doing, uh, doing it here. Um, the other issue, of course, is we're now at a, an intersection with pedestrian-controlled crossings, and what is, is frequently a, a problem here is the length of time allowed for people to cross. Um, Someone just going across the road now, and they're obviously a, a fully fit person, but they've only got halfway across before the, uh, the, the red light started flashing, and it's really totally inadequate for someone who's less than fully able. Grey Power is looking forward to more communities in New Zealand signing up to the age-friendly network of cities and towns, an initiative by the World Health Organisation. Hamilton has just become the 600th city to join after it developed an age-friendly plan for the city. The plan's to be completed in the next four years and commits to actions like providing services to help older people use digital technologies at banks giving them more recreation opportunities and reducing social isolation. Peter Matcham says it will help reduce the exploitation of vulnerable older people, something Grey Power's keeping an eye on. One of the downsides, I suppose, of, of the current trends that we're seeing is the increase in older people who are being taken in by online services just because they're trying to befriend someone. 
and then they usually become exploited. It's something which we and obviously other agencies as well try to warn our, our members about, but ultimately it is really just if you're that lonely that, that you would rather talk to anyone, then you're obviously very vulnerable to, to exploitation. Grey Power says many communities are already doing a good job of providing group activities to keep older people connected. If you want to sort them by albums, you can just create one, which you go just plus here. Here at Kurunui College in Greytown, they're connecting in more ways than one. Save, right, and then you can just go into your... Students photos. give up their lunch hour once a week to buddy up with older people and teach them how to use their smartphones and computers. We've been helping with setting up Messenger, setting up Skype, showing people how to get into contact with other people. Anne Rainford of the Greytown Community Board says the sessions are a win-win for the teenagers and their much older pupils. The children and grandchildren can be at the other end of the globe enabling them to have access to these resources means they can have weekly connection with those families. We have to help old people look at ways and means of them being able to function in today's society. A one-on-one situation is brilliant for them because they don't feel as frustrated. They're able to come back if they've forgotten. Now, tell me one thing. Say I wanted to know what the result of the uh, latest results for the World Cup are. Yeah. So we're going to go safari. 88-year-old Bob Barge is getting a few tips from 15-year-old Henry Isaacs. Where is it? You've got safari down here. Oh, yeah. So we're going to go like that. Yeah. And we're going to tap There's up. Radio New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um, yeah. So we're going to tap up on the top bar here. The search this bar. one? Yep, the search bar. Oh, yeah, OK. And now you're going then to put, put, no, type in whatever you wanted. World so. Cup. So I've been watching Wimbledon, so I've okay. been searching up yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah, do that. I know what I'm doing on the phone, but then I suddenly have to try and explain it, and I'm not really sure kind of how to necessarily, and so it's quite good practice to be able to try and put what you do into words. And what about connecting with the older generation? I think they do quite enjoy coming to talk to some younger people and see what they've got to say, and I quite enjoy it too. They're so old and wise, and so they kind of know what they're talking about, and they've got a different opinion to what a teenager would. So you get to talk to them about that as well as do like the device things. And with the sport, have you got the same opinions? Well, we were just we were just debating about the doping scandal with the Russians, and so I disagree with them completely. Um, but it's quite good fun because that's all part of it. And so he's like, "No, no, no, you're completely wrong." And I'm like, "No, no, no, you're completely wrong." So yeah, it's quite good fun. The Minister for Seniors, Tracy Martin, says she wants to see such out-of-the-box thinking during consultations, which have just opened, on a new positive ageing strategy. What I'm hoping to start to push the boundaries on are things like um, pets. How many of our seniors, when, let's say, they have a pet or they would like a pet, but they think, well, actually, I don't know how long I'm going to live, what would happen to the dog or cat or whatever when I was gone, can we set up something like a fostering pet system so that an older citizen can say, I can get um, a pet, uh, and I know that if anything happens to me, that I have somewhere that that pet will go and it will be loved and cared for for the rest of its life. Discos for seniors, um, keeping seniors connected to the workplace, transitioning into their retirement, because most of us, that's where we get our relationships from, actually, is through the workplace. So you, I hope what you can hear is that I'm trying to expand the conversation past what are some of the stereotypes of we must just keep older people 
active. Um, I think we need an attitudinal change towards seniors um, entering a new relationship, for example. Last year, the UK got a Minister for Loneliness, but Tracy Martin says they don't seem to have a plan just yet. She says she'll be advocating for New Zealand's older lonely on housing and other issues. I've had conversations with some of the mayors uh, around New Zealand about their pensioner housing. Now that this government's going to put back the four well-beings back into um, what councils can do, there's, uh, councils are able to now reinvest in pensioner housing and those sort of things. So my job is an advocate. So my, I mean, you know, I, I have $1 million and six staff. So um, I'll just keep raising those issues with as many ministers as possible to try and get as many instant responses as we can get while we build towards um, a better future. Tracy Martin says what's for sure is demographics are changing, and that means policies will too. Dr Judith Davey of Victoria University's Institute for Governance and Policy Studies says policymakers need to look on the ageing population not as a problem but an opportunity. All the capacity that older people have that might be overlooked by ageism when you just put them all in a basket which says, you know, they've had their day kind of thing. Um, They've had all kinds of experiences. They've had professional experience. They can contribute and they do contribute to communities and voluntary organisations hugely and more and more of that can be done. They contribute to families. They contribute economically by continuing in paid work in quite high proportions and also they contribute as consumers. Over at Age Concern, ideas are afoot for a coalition of groups to promote social connection in New Zealand. Louise Rees says it's important to break the stigma around loneliness. There is a sense of shame around loneliness, a sense of social failure. But actually, the reality is that large numbers of us live alone and are at risk of loneliness. And we would like to reframe that rather than as something that needs to be kept private or hidden, something that we can talk about, a cue to take action. program was written and presented by Sally Round. It was produced by me, Teresa Cowie, with technical production from Bradley Warrington. If you'd like to discover some other great listening from Insight, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Jeremy Rose looks at the new ways New Zealand's trying to tackle money laundering. That's all from Insight today. Join us again next week. 